three, two, one. Welcome to the Dave of the Dog Trainer podcast, episode seventy-seven. Yep. Here we are. Um, well, we're back at it again. I'm back from out of town for a second time this month, and yeah. you know, we're getting getting into the thing here. We've had quite an eventful week. We've got a lot of stuff going on at the facility here. Um, playing the game of firefighter, you know, constantly something to. Put out, yeah. <laughs> Let the steam fizzle. Do we need to get one of those soundboards, dude? Yeah, <laughs> just, just all sorts of different noises and stuff. Yeah, it's been <clears throat> it's been a long ass fucking week, man. Yeah. We had uh, we had a couple things pop off um, while I was gone. Um, that you know basically have been since I've gotten back. I got back Sunday evening. Uh, basically, been taking care of situating things, getting stuff all up to speed. You know things like that. Yeah. Not going to get into the details, but this is a part of the gig, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. So I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast last time or if this was just a conversation I had with somebody recently or what. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, I think, you know, in this industry, right? Again, unregulated industry, this, that, right? Mm-hmm. It gets so easy to get into it, you know? Yeah. And goddamn, does it seem like one of those things where it's like you just get into it and get some clients and then you make a bunch of money and it's cool and it's fun and this and that. But you know what it was? I was talking with a friend of mine. So I was out of town right the other day yeah, last weekend. Right. And before shit started to pop off, I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine who um, runs a pretty large manufacturing company down in like the Hudson area. Right. And, okay. you know, he was telling me about, you know, something he was dealing with. Right, yeah. he had a, an incident involving some machinery and it not working <clears throat> properly, and this and that. And you know, he's you know in the process of playing damage control with these clients over you know basically over like a half a million dollar machine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and you know, we're talking about it, and and I was kind of giving him some insight as far as you know how to uh, look at the situation and helping him brainstorm some solutions and stuff like that. Um, because in the end of the day, whatever issues you have, you could kind of always correlate them together, you know, whatever yeah. industry that you're in, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and, and we we're having this conversation and we kind of got into the conversation of like, you know, owning a business, right? Running a company, stuff like that, and how glamorized it seems right now. You know, like obviously everybody wants to own a company, right? Oh, yeah. Like you you understand, right? Like you're yeah. you're kind of in the weeds with it as well. <clears throat> you know, yep. I am, he is, stuff like that. But the thing is, ninety-nine percent of what really goes into owning a business is the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. You know what yeah. I mean? The stuff that you don't talk about, right? The mm-hmm. stuff that, you know, is just, you know, whatever. The day-to-day grind of dealing with uh, employee relations, dealing with uh, employee-client relations, dealing with the numerous issues that present themselves over the course of a year that everybody experiences. Oh, yeah. We've started to dive into some of those topics more and more over the last couple of podcasts from the mm-hmm. standpoint of dealing with hurdles specific to our industry, right? Yeah. As far as client issues that they experience at home, this and that. But it's just, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think a lot of people aren't fully prepared for that when they get themselves into this kind of stuff. Of oh, the yeah. emotional hurdles and the emotional roller coasters you have to be able to kind of put yourself through as you're dealing with that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's wild, man. You know, there's, there's a lot, you know. But, it, but nonetheless, you know, the, the particular issue that I've been dealing with, it's kind of been like a four-day-long process of, like, getting things situated with it and, and all that kind of stuff. And we're kind of starting to get into the clear of it a little bit now. 
Um, but it's been a lot. So we're not super prepared for this episode here right now due to that, obviously. Yeah. So today's going to be kind of a little bit of a random one. We have a question from a couple weeks ago that we didn't get a chance to dive into last time. Um, and, um, and yeah, yeah. we'll kind of see what we get. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I would definitely say to, you know, in my line of work, if, uh, let's say the, wor- the worst case scenario for me would be... Uh, you know, let's say my SD card screwed up after a shoot, sure. you know, and they, they put, you know, the whole restaurant spread out and I lost all of it, you know. I mean, that's tough. That's a tough client conversation I have to have like, hey, we don't, I lost it all. Like, sure. what can we do to, you know, resurrect this, <clears throat> this situation? Yeah. But <clears throat> in your situation, in like the dog, like a dog training situation, you know, like you said about emotion, you know, there's more that goes into it. Yeah. You guys are working with living creatures and there's just so much more involved in that mm-hmm. with that. Like you said, client relations, you know, mm-hmm. you know, they're putting trust in you. You're putting that you're the dog, blah, 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 blah you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But there's just like for beginning trainers, like you were saying, you know, it seems like, Oh, it's so great. But whenever you do have a situation come up with, a living animal. I mean, it's just, it's, it's tough. It's, it's mm-hmm. not never an easy conversation. I think you're right. It's so hard, you know, when it, that time finally comes that you have mm-hmm. to have some kind of conversation with an owner and you're like, Oh fuck. Like, and, and that's, that's really what a make or break, I think for a lot of people in this industry. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, this is where, you know, I see a lot of new trainers shoot themselves in the foot, right? I, yes. it's so hard. Cause like, you know, I, I understand that like a lot of people are good with dogs, right? And a lot of Mm -hmm. people are good with training dogs and stuff like that. And seemingly the next step is I just work for myself and I do that, right? Mm -hmm. But because of how much more is involved in this industry, you know, past Mm -hmm. just training the dogs, I, you know, you get into, we we do podcasts sometimes talking about like getting into dog training and like how I got into dog training and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I do think that there's something to be said, and, and, and there's a lot of trainers I talk to also that kind of disagree with me on this, right? But I think there's something to be said about, like, paying your dues and working for somebody for a while so mm-hmm. you have that kind of cushion to make yeah. those mistakes, right? Yep. And, you know, ultimately have somebody you could fall back on when shit hits the fan, mm-hmm. right? You know, yeah. whether you do a bad job or, or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. to help you guide to the next step, you know what I mean? And help resolve situations that may arise and help you learn before you make a lot of those mistakes. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think there's something to be said about that. Um, And I think that a lot of trainers will shoot themselves in the foot, like newer trainers where they'll get involved in training, right? They'll get involved in training and they'll, you know, they're good with the training when things are going great, things are going great and stuff like that. And then they run into that first big issue. And then because they don't have any sort of experience of dealing with hurdles or having assistance in dealing with hurdles and stuff, Mm -hmm. they don't know how to handle it when it happens. And then things just explode. Right. We talked about multiple incidences before with other training companies from the standpoint of, we talked about when I got back from Connecticut, the last time the situation where the dog went to a board and train somewhere, I think like Chardon or something like that. Yeah. And the dog, like, gashed up its face somehow, Mm -hmm. you know, and 
whatever, you know, there was no communication about it until, you know, the, the, the person yeah. sent over pictures or something yeah. and like, you know, and then the people went to go pick up the dog and then realized the dog had this huge gash on their face and the yeah. owner wasn't there to handle it. And, you know, like stuff like that, just handling a situation where you may have made a mistake and being the <laughs> one to just fully own that mistake that you made and mm. damage control and handle that situation is a skill that has to be developed. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yes, you don't want to ever run into those types of situations. Yeah. We want to be able to say, hey, we're perfect. We don't ever make mistakes. But I don't know of a company in the world that hasn't experienced issues that were a result of something that they did incorrectly yeah. and had to handle those issues. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why companies have these entire PR teams and HR departments and stuff like that mm -hmm. is to be able to navigate those situations as effectively as possible. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's a skill that new trainers need to learn to develop. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think you make a great point that, especially in the, like we, I was just saying, in this industry, it's it's such more higher need for you to be per perfect at it, mm -hmm. you know, working with a, like a live being or animal mm -hmm. that you should work with other trainers. You know, people that have had these experiences far longer than you have. Mm -hmm. And it, I think at the end of the day, that will only elevate you to a not make a terrible mistake and b i mean you'll grow and learn so much faster you know mm -hmm. and i don't know it's just uh, i think it's just the good the the part that people don't think about a lot and that's why i, I do love that we've had those conversations in the last few podcasts because it, mm -hmm. like you said it's not all you know glitter and rainbows and and oh, happy dogs all the time. You know, there there are situations that you know you gotta get down to the nitty gritty, and it's it's tough. It's never gonna be easy. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. <laughs> it's a, it's crazy. Yeah. So okay. So here's what we're gonna do, right? So um, we're gonna get into this question here. Like I said, I want to get into this answer. So a couple of episodes ago, we did an episode on like severely under socialized dogs right yep. we called it you know severely under socialized dogs and we had a couple of different questions that came through we had one we answered from somebody that i believe was from out of town and the gist of the question was they had a dog they determined was pretty under socialized right mm -hmm. they didn't know how to handle the dog or they didn't know how you know what their next steps were going to be with the dog they mm -hmm. wanted to keep moving along with things and stuff yeah. but they didn't have a clear goal or a clear path in which they needed to go down okay right so, uh, obviously, we got into the details as far as, hey, these are some things that you could do um, in the immediate to help figure out what that goal is. Mm -hmm. uh, we, I think we said at some point in it we needed some more information on what exactly was going on with the dog to help them determine what their next step should be with things. And we got a pretty lengthy reply back to the person. Uh, and I want to read that reply, and I want to dig into this answer a little bit here. Perfect. And uh, see if we can continue to help them. Right? All right. So, <clears throat> person replies back. Thank you so much for taking the time to answer my question. I was not expecting that. You gave fantastic advice. You're absolutely right that I needed to find some goals. I've had my dog Piper about one and a half years now, and at first I was very focused on her leash reactivity, socialization, and human aggression. She used to have frequent outbursts on walks when passing other dogs, but we've gotten that mostly under control by heavily drilling an engage-disengage game and using a prong collar. We can now pass dogs on walks easily. She still whines if the other dog is also reactive, but in most cases, I can create some space and there is no issue. 
Regarding socialization, we do not greet dogs or people on walks, and we do not go to dog parks. She has a few good dog friends that she has indoor playdates with a few times per month. With people, I regularly have friends over at my apartment, but Piper in a place command, and she does not interact with guests unless she knows them very well. She is very affectionate with people she trusts, but Piper will growl at strangers if they come on too strong. She will escalate to a snap if the stranger does not back off. This has not been an issue for us in the last year because I have gotten much better about managing her environment and avoiding strangers. Looking at where we started and where we are today, I think two main goals come into view. The first is that I would like to have better control over Piper in general. She is a very confident, independent dog who is easily aroused and distracted. However, she loves training and the attention she gets for doing a good job. I believe she would respond well to a balanced training approach. She listens to me very well at home, but in new environments, she will see what she can get away with. I don't want her to be a robot, but given her size, strength, and aggressive tendencies, I feel a strong sense of responsibility to have full control over this dog. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I would like uh-huh. to let her off-leash eventually. Currently, she cannot be trusted off-leash at all. The outside environment is extremely exciting to her. I have a long line leash that I've used to give her more freedom on hikes, in large parks, and in my mom's backyard, but it's still a pain in the butt. I would also like to mention that I'm not against e-collars, and I own a mini educator. I read a couple of books on e-collar training and tried some training with her on very low settings. I stopped because Piper quickly developed irritation on her neck. She had red sores where the e-collar was, and we would only have it on for a few hours at a time, not going above a level six. We had similar issues with the Hermspringer prong collar. She developed some major irritation where the chain flexes, so we have a harness now. Piper has an extremely short coat with just a little peach fuzz around her neck, so any irritation like this is obvious. Do you know of any ways to prevent this? Yikes, what a novel. No worries if you don't read it at all or respond. Addressing my question on the podcast was already way above and beyond. Again, thank you so much. I've learned so much from you, and I'm so grateful. Thank you, Elena. Appreciate the reply. So let's dig into this. Luckily today, we've got time to discuss it. We do. Okay, so we're going to kind of work backwards again with this here, right? Because there's some tool-related issues that I want to discuss before we get into the training stuff. So she mentioned here she's not against the e-collars or anything, obviously, but she had some issues with irritation on the neck, right? Mm -hmm. Now, a couple misconceptions here, right? Or or one big misconception, I should say here, right? Is that the e-collar is burning the skin while you're using it, and that's what's causing the irritation, right? Not the case at all, right? Mm. A lot of people equate the burns on the neck to like high levels, right? Yeah. Has nothing to do with that. The mm-hmm. e-collar actually creates no heat, so it cannot burn the skin. It's physically impossible for that to happen. Now, what is creating the irritation? Sensitivity to the metal in the contact points on the skin, typically for prolonged periods of time, right? So if you accidentally leave your e-collar on, all day and fall asleep with it on and stuff like that and the dogs Mm -hmm. got it in the same spot eventually for every dog it's a little different as far as how long eventually those metal contact points will just irritate the skin from pressing against them right Mm -hmm. create a rash and then typically what happens is the dog scratches the shit out of it and turns it into this yeah mess Mm -hmm. right we've seen it plenty of times before it heals up pretty quickly obviously but you want to avoid that right obviously the goal is not to have that happen right (laughs) sure 
How do you prevent that? In most cases, this is not the case with this dog, I don't think, but in most cases, rotating it around the neck periodically. So if it's going to be on longer than, say, three hours at a time, grab it, spin it to the other side of the neck, right? Mm -hmm. And make sure that it doesn't create any uh, further irritation in that spot, right? So that's yeah. one thing that you could do. Find breaks with it off, things like that. <clears throat> now, in some dogs' cases, there is a nickel in the contact points. And the fact that she said the prong collar caused some irritation as well also leads me to believe yeah. that it's that because the prong collar also has nickel in it, right? Mm -hmm. And some dogs are hypersensitive to those metals, mm -hmm. right? It's like um, I've seen people before that they'll wear a certain type of bracelet yeah. right, or watch or something like that. And like where the buckle sits or, or whatever, you'll red. notice your, your your skin will just get super irritated. I had yeah. a watch one time that had this like leather band with something on it. Yeah. And every single time I wore that watch right there on my wrist, I got this big rash. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So it could have nothing to do with neglect yeah. or, or keeping it on too yeah. long or anything like that. It could just be that the dog has an allergy to yeah. the, the, the metal that is in the contact yeah. points. So she, what do we do if we notice that? And she right. said peach, like it's like almost Dogs like, already, already like, has no fur there yeah. and stuff like that. So the dog probably is susceptible to skin yeah, issues and like stuff. straight skin. Right. So we'll see some dogs like that. That I remember one time, so in, uh, uh, my ex and I had a dog, right, um, and she was really sensitive to everything, right? Mm -hmm. And this is when I first started getting into training. I was going to start prong collar training with her, right? And I put a prong collar on her neck for like an hour. Mm -hmm. I didn't even use it. I just mm -hmm. literally put it on her neck, right? Yeah. Took that thing off. Entire freaking neck, dude, swollen in all the spots where the points were. Like Whoa. It was like bubbles on the neck. Really? Just from an allergy to the prong collar. Wow. Right? That's all it was. Didn't even yeah. use it. Had it on for an hour. First time she ever had one on her in her life, right? <sighs> So we wound up needing to use a different type of prong collar, right? So yeah. what are your solutions for that? From a prong collar standpoint, there's two options, right? So Starmark makes a collar that's like a plastic prong collar, right? That's what we used with that dog, and it, and it worked fine, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's slightly less aversive than the prong collar is. So for some dogs, that's fine. For other dogs that are big polars and stuff, it's not going to be quite as effective as a standard one. Mm -hmm. uh, if you need like a traditional style prong collar, they make, I believe it's called a Kurrigan prong collar, right? So it's a different type of metal that it's made out of that's technically like hypoallergenic. Right. Okay. So you could put it on and the dog won't develop that irritation from it. Yeah. Right. So those are kind of two options you can go with if you want to stick to a traditional like pinch collar approach to your training, uh, which obviously we recommend. Right. So that's one thing you can do from that. From the e collar standpoint, they sell multiple different types of contact points that you could swap out. They have one that's called a comfort pad, which is basically instead of two contact points, it's four that are really close together that are made out of copper as opposed to the nickel, mm -hmm. right? Which is a little bit more hypoallergenic, obviously. Mm -hmm. And because mm -hmm. they're closer together like that, it's not like two that are pressing into the skin. It's four that just kind of sits comfortably there, yeah. right? So that's one option that we typically recommend for people. They sell them in a long hair and a short hair form. So depending on what kind of fur your dog has, you could find one appropriate for it. Mm -hmm. They also sell additional regular contact points that are hypoallergenic material. I don't know exactly the material they're made out of, but they're for like super sensitive skin dogs. And that mm -hmm. also can be very beneficial for that. So yeah. from your equipment standpoint, right, my recommendation would be that you just get stuff that's going to be less aversive on the dog's neck. Yeah. Right. And then you get past it. Like in a lot of cases, you know, if you're doing your e-collar training, once you're past your first week or so, you don't even need like a pinch collar or anything. You can mm -hmm. just switch to a regular flat collar or something like that and just use your e-collar. That way it's even less putting pressure on the dog. Yeah. Right. So from an equipment standpoint, that's what I would do, obviously. Then you get into the actual goals that she has. Right. Mm -hmm. So obviously <clears throat> she wants to be able to let the dog off leash. Right. 
She wants to have a little bit better of control in distracting environments. Uh, and then socialization, it sounds like she's on the right track. So overall, right, when it comes to the immediate issues that she had with the dog, she's on the right track from the standpoint of she's socializing the dog properly, right? It sounds like she understands the dog's threshold and understands the dog's limitations. And she even said over the last year or so, it has not been a problem because yeah. she's understood how to control the environment around her, which is key with this, mm -hmm. right? Again, we get into how do we adapt to the dog? How do we know what the dog needs best in order to thrive socially? And what you'll find is as you play the long game with this, because this dog sounds similar to like Vinny or something where he's not an aggressive dog necessarily, mm -hmm. but he needs a particular way of being introduced new people in order to help him feel really confident right yeah. so <clears throat> in his case i did a lot of the same stuff right for the first year or so that i had him pretty much anytime people would come over he was in a bed stay right yeah. and i had no rush to change that you know it's like why like he holds his bed stay perfectly he'll literally hold it for four hours if i need him to while somebody's there so like why do i need to have him up interacting with people yeah that's the first step of socialization is coexistence right mm -hmm. and i started getting him just shifting his association that anybody was going to mess with him to the point where he hit this point where it was like anytime people would come over he would just chill you know yeah. he'd go over there and be like all right I'm here. <laughs> These people don't mean anything because yeah. they're not messing with me or anything. Mm -hmm. And then as I had him around more people, right, and he saw the same people repeatedly, you know, and stuff like that, I started noticing he wanted to interact more. So I started mm -hmm. allowing that in a controlled way, right? And same yeah. deal. I had rules with my guests that came over. Hey, you know, I'm going to release him. He's going to hang out. Just leave him be. Mm -hmm. You know, let him let him do his thing. You know, yeah. but don't don't push him or anything. And you know, little by little, that turned in. I was like, hey, it looks like he wants to be pet. Go ahead and pet him. You yeah. know, and 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 he got pretty good at self regulating himself. Where he would mm -hmm. go up, you'd get those pets, and if he started getting uncomfortable by it, he may let out a little grumble or something like that. Yeah. But he would just go and do something else. Yeah. Right. And ultimately, anytime I was doing that. I was setting myself up to control the situation. Let's say I, you know, somebody's going to interact with them, right? I never did it in a way where I wasn't able to control that scenario, right? So cool. This person's going to interact with them. I'm going to watch it, right? Hey, it looks like he's getting uncomfortable. Just leave him alone now, right? They'd stop. Everything was good, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or he'd do his little grumble and walk away and be like, all right, I'd be able to control. All right, cool. He clearly has had enough. Just leave him be now, right? Mm -hmm. And I was able to build his threshold as I as I advocated for him properly in those social settings, yeah. right? And I clarified to everybody, if your dog is truly a bite risk, right? Use a mm -hmm. muzzle for this, but the, the process is exactly the same. You're yeah. just putting an additional safety protocol into place, yep. right? But most people skip that initial step, right? They skip that initial step of the coexistence side of things and having their vision on the long game. Yeah. Right. Truly the long game of like, you know, he's he's literally like this may be a year of you just get it working on the coexistence side of things if your dog is really bad with stuff. Right. And mm -hmm. being OK with that. You got to be OK with that. Yeah. You know, so that's a lot of it from a social standpoint. Obviously, she said with the reactivity side of things, she does the engage disengage game, which in a nutshell if I'm not mistaken, right? Because I believe that's that's kind of like a force-free approach, right? With with the prong car she was using, obviously. So a little bit of like a balanced force-free approach. Right? Yeah. Uh, the engage-disengage game is basically dog engages with the, the second the dog engages with the trigger, you teach them to disengage utilizing rewards. Yeah. Right? And in a lot of cases, you can find a lot of progress with this. When we talk to Taylor from Proper Paws, right? She does a similar thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where she takes... I still consider kind of like an engage, disengage slash balance approach because she uses the halty in a lot of cases yeah. where she'll try to disengage the dog if she needs to. She'll use a little help with the halty, obviously, mm -hmm. and continue that process of reinforcing, yeah. right? And you can get pretty far with that, you know? Um, my only recommendation would be, you know, when it comes to reactivity and stuff like that, if you really want to seal the deal on it, if you feel like there's more progress to be made, um, you know, 
try to go for a walk where you try to use less rewards if you're still finding yourself using a ton of them and see what your dog's behavior is like from there, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't want to fall into this trap of like, if I don't use these rewards, my dog's still being a psycho. You want them to learn those boundaries still as well. Yeah. And if you've already gotten it so much better where it's like not a problem and you could pass other dogs and stuff like that, then it, you know, it should be pretty good. You know, maybe if anything, you need to add a couple corrections in to really solidify <coughs> things, yeah. but you should be able to get things pretty much where you want them to be, mm-hmm. right? So that's good, obviously. She's cruising along really nicely with that. So you get into the control issues and the off-leash stuff. Those are really the biggest goals here, right? So we need to define what is, what are the, what is the success with those types of things going to look like, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so we'll start with the better control side of things because typically that's going to come before we work off-leash stuff, right? My kind of prerequisite to doing off-leash stuff is I want to make sure I pretty much have like 100% perfect control on the leash first, right? Yeah. Now, how do we get there, right? I am a very firm believer that when you get into truly getting the level of perfection with your obedience that a lot of people want, which is like the, like, when I ask my dog to do something in my brain, 99.9% of the time, they're going to listen without the need of any sort of correction or anything, right? If you're looking for that, I don't think that you're going to get that degree of perfection without starting to add much more firm consequences for not doing the things into it. Right. And the way this works, right, as you're moving through your training process is the further along you get your obedience, like trained in like a motivational way. And if you are doing a lot of food stuff with the dog and things like that, the better you get the stuff that way, the less force you're going to need to use later on to get those things where they need to. Because if I have my dog to a place where they're like freaking rock solid with their commands for treats and like all sorts of different environments and stuff like that, but just every now and then they get a little distracted by something, Mm -hmm. really just a couple corrections to clean up those last little things. And because you've done such a good job of telling the dog, this is what I want you to do, just adding a couple things in where we tell them this is what you can't do, mm-hmm. they should pick it up so fast, oh, yeah. right? So I usually recommend just take like one or two commands at a time, right? And mm-hmm. I know she said, you know, she's kind of tried the <clears throat> e-collar. It doesn't sound like she's done very much with it, obviously, from yeah. the standpoint of like she only, you know, did up to level six, obviously, and the dog developed the irritation pretty quickly. So it sounds like she stopped using it pretty fast. Yeah. Um, once you get your proper equipment and stuff like that, <clears throat> you know, a, a lot of it comes down to almost not worrying so much about those early conditioning stages that a lot of people talk about. You know, yeah. if your dog is pretty well trained, you could pick one command and you could just start adding a correction in for it. Mm-hmm. You know, like come command, for example, if your goal is off leash, start with that. Go on a long line. Go into a fairly busy field, start working cum commands, nothing but cum commands, and just start adding in a higher correction if the dog doesn't do it, Mm -hmm. right? So you're teaching the dog, you feel this pressure, you come to me, right? And you go in your field, right? You're hanging out, do, 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 do. You do three of them. Dog does it perfectly for the treat, this, that. And then that fourth one, oh, they're distracted by that squirrel over there, right? You find a level on your e-collar the dog cares about more than the squirrel. You tell them no. You give a correction for that. Then you go right back to pumping the dog back up with the treats, Mm -hmm. right? And you do a couple sessions of that, and you're going to get your recall from like 75% 75% great to like basically 95% great like that. Like mm-hmm. it really is like that quick of a process in a lot of these cases if you put your foundational steps in place enough. If the dog doesn't have that clear of an understanding of the come command to begin with, you could either teach it really well with just the food if you want or you could teach it with the e-collar, right? We have a couple of videos on our YouTube channel you could watch of like this is how you actually go about 
training the come command, utilizing the e-collar, mm-hmm. and really teaching the dog, hey, this is how you feel the pressure, and this is how you turn the pressure off by coming to us and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that tack a couple days onto it as far as those early steps of teaching it, but they should be able to pick it up pretty quick as well, right? Yeah. From there, you push that to the side, and you work a different command, and you mm-hmm. kind of just go along the process that way. Um, again, I know there's a couple books out there that get into this is how we use the e-collar to teach it in a nice way and this and that. I think a lot of times, unless you're working under proper guidance with somebody, it could confuse you more and you're not going to get the results you're looking for because in those books, those people are going to shy away from telling you really where you need to start upping the intensity a little Mm -hmm. bit to get things to where you need them to be. Mm -hmm. And I've even seen a couple of the guys that have e-collar books out there, especially one that came out recently. Mark Goldberg uh, has a great e-collar training book, but I even see in his group that he has where people will say similar things. I've done all the steps, Mm -hmm. right? I've done all the conditioning stuff. It works really good, this, that, but still my dog like gets really distracted by a squirrel or this or that. And I'll see him kind of just like (laughs) dilly dally around just telling him like your dog just is blown off the correction. Yeah. That's it. You know what I mean? And I get it. Like I said, like we want to be fair with things. We don't want to push the boundary too much, obviously. Um, But in a lot of those cases, that's really the thing that's going to get you the rest of the way, the rest of the way there. Yeah. Because I guarantee you any dog trainer out there, if they have their dog off leash, that dog is not going to blow them off. Right. Because that dog knows that I'm going to continue going up on the level if you're chasing a squirrel until you care more about it and turn back to come to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so. You know, as far as your training process, really your next step, if you've done a good job with your foundational stuff, right, which it sounds like the dog knows everything, but the dog still gets a little distracted by stuff, I would start picking one command at a time. I would re-implement your e-collar into things, and I would start creating consequences clearly for the blowing you off. Now, you have to be clear about, is the dog actually blowing you off, or is the dog confused? Like, I'm talking truly dog is distracted by something over there and choosing not to come to me. Not dog is like, wait a minute. What am I supposed to do? And like looking at you and like giving you good engagement yeah. and stuff like that. You really need to you you need to address that blowing you off side of things, right? Last point I would make as far as the recall related stuff is concerned, right? And the off leash related stuff is concerned, is you also get into realistic expectations with off leash stuff, right? To everybody, off leash looks different. You know what I mean? To me, when it, like you know, we advertise we do off leash training, and a lot of people will come in and they'll be like well, I don't want to let my dog off leash. And I was like, I get that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you to let your dog off leash. I'll yeah. never be like, hey, you need to start letting your dog off leash because yeah. I think that's a personal decision you make as you hit a point where you get comfortable enough with the dog and comfortable enough with your control over the dog. Sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's not for me to tell you. And oh, plus, yeah. there's leash laws in most places around here, yep. right? So it's your yeah. choice if you're going to yeah. go about, you know, <laughs> working around those leash laws too, yeah. right? Yep. Now, with off-leash stuff, to me... Off-leash training means that I have the ability to communicate and control my communicate with and control my dog whether the leash is on or not. Mm-hmm. Right? That's it. It doesn't yep. mean that the leash is not on. It just means that I'm not contingent on using it to manage the dog in any way, shape, or yeah, form. Exactly. Right. <clears throat> so so um with that being said. If I'm going to let my dog truly off of the leash, in my case, I'm so particular about where and when I do it, right? I'm not going for off-leash walks through the park, right? I'm not, like, letting my dog off-leash in busy places like Edgewater around the corner and and near busy roads and stuff like that. Like, I'm not, like, doing all that kind of stuff, right? I have a select few places near me that I could let my dogs off-leash that is a huge open area. Mm -hmm. There's really not anywhere for them to go, right? And there's no people or other dogs around. So I'm not even doing it around distractions and stuff. 
Yep. You know what I mean? Um, some people, to some people off-leash training, what they want is they want to be able to walk off-leash through the neighborhood. And they yeah. want to go to this like park where there's like a 20-square-foot section that they could have their dog off-leash in, and then there's dogs everywhere else and yeah. stuff. And it's like, that's just unrealistic. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a good goal to have no. at that point. So if you have places like where I have where I could do it, and listen, I'm, I'm a proponent of off-leash training. I think that there's nothing like... Yeah, I, I had a conversation, Jeff Gelman, right? I remember one of the first times I ever talked to him years ago, right? He had this dog, his name was, the dog's name was Ronan, right? And Ronan was like a big, like, I think it was a Kangal, like, which is basically like an Anatolian shepherd. Like it's a, it's yeah, a it's, big fucking dog. It's a big dog. Right? And he had one of these things, right? And he told, I remember him saying one time, you know, with, with, with uh, his dog Ronan, right? He's like, you know, he's like, because I was explaining a scenario. I think at the time I had an Anatolian Shepherd in for training that lived in like Cleveland Heights and like this tiny ass little house. And they would take it for walks and stuff like that. And these are livestock guardian dogs. These are dogs meant to be on hundreds of acres, mm-hmm. just like protecting shit, mm-hmm. you know? And they just had this dog cooped up in a house. And he was like, man, he's like, that sucks. He's like, you know, like there's nothing more beautiful than when I could take Ronan into these fields and just watching him just like truly run. You know, a dog of that size just mm. really, it's the only time. You know what I mean? Like, it's the only time they could just let loose and just open up and just let it go. Yep. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I look at it the same way. Like, I'm blessed where, you know, we have a really freaking big backyard. You know what I mean? We got almost an acre, right? Mm-hmm. So my dogs can get a full fucking sprint. They could yeah. run. They could burn that energy off and stuff like that. Yeah. But to a lot of people that live in smaller areas, their dog never has the ability to do that. And can you imagine if you were never able to just like physically exert yourself? Yeah. You know what I mean? There's something so satisfying about like, oh, yeah. you know, if you go and work out or go for a run or this or yeah. that, and you get to just, just drive your all into it, it's <laughs> yeah. such a great feeling. Feels so good. Right? And imagine these dogs just going their entire lives, never being able to do that. Never, ever being able to do that. Yeah. Imagine a, a cheetah or a leopard never being able to just fucking run. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's like that's like letting your dog down. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? 100%. So the off-leash training is not for this personal satisfaction of like, oh, I get to let my dog off-leash and look at how fucking cool it is and I want to do it around <laughs> all these people and stuff. Because honestly, yeah. if I'm doing it in that case, like why do I need to take my dog for an off-leash walk when they're going to be right next to me when I could just have a leash on them? Like it doesn't yeah. make sense. Makes you know what I mean? Sense. The purpose of off-leash training to me is to satisfy that biological urge to just fucking go. Yeah. That's it. There's no other point in doing off-leash stuff with your dog, aside from general convenience of if I'm carrying a bunch of bags from my car to my house, you know, and I don't want to have to hold a leash also. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. there are additional perks, obviously. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, that is truly the reason why we do off-leash training with our dogs, Mm -hmm. right, is for them and to let them have that kind of that drive. So as you're looking into doing off-leash training, that should be the focus. It shouldn't be around all these distractions and stuff. It should be somewhere where you could just let them truly be a dog. Yeah. So that's my answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> I agree with all that, especially with Bender. I mean, Bender's an Australian cattle dog. They're yep. literally made to go run around cows all day, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> and one of his one of his favorite things when she was still working at the daycare, <clears throat> uh, Milo, which was a uh, – it's those big, fluffy, giant dogs. Um, Newfoundland? Yeah, he was a Newfie. And he looked like a, a cow. And yeah. he would literally, <laughs> like, parade him around the whole time. Hilarious. But, <clears throat> yeah, that's, like, you know, we never <clears throat> take him off leash anywhere that we think there's going to be a lot of people or mm-hmm. other dogs. It's always, like, the back end of these long three-mile trails yep. or, 
Yeah, and they, we have a big fielded area, and we yep. just let him go. And yeah, and you can just tell immediately when like it's like, yeah, go ahead, bud. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, boom. Dude, there's you remember so Ian? Remember yeah. Ian, right? Yeah. So I remember the first time we let Ian off leash, right? Okay. Not me, like with the the, the client I had yeah. for a while. She's like, I really want to let him off leash. She's yeah. like, I, I trust him. You know, I just you know if if you just be, we're in a session. She's like, can we just do it? I was like, yeah. you know what? Yeah, let's do it. Right. <laughs> she lives in uh, like Cuyahoga Falls area, yeah. right? kind of by Stan Hewittish. Oh, okay. And there's this massive fucking field like by her house, right? Yeah. So we took him to this massive field. She had her other dog Evie with her also, right? And we're like, all right. We're going to just let it go, right? Yeah. And we pop that leash off, and that motherfucker just <laughs> boom, <Yeah>. flying. <laughs> Him and Evie, and Evie, she had let off leash all the time. So, like, we had also the insurance of, like, if we called her back, he was probably just going to follow her back, yeah. too, for whatever reason. You know, he didn't didn't want to. And we let him off leash. And, dude, this field was so fucking big. They did, like, basically the perimeter of this field in, like, 0.5 seconds. It was insane. And you could just see, he's just fucking going, yeah. you know? And he got back. He did that full loop. We gave him a come command. He came flying back to us. And he just got back and just laid down. And you could just see it in his face. <laughs> it was, like, the greatest moment of his life. He was yep. just like, fuck, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, so, you know, like that's, that's why we do it, you know, like that's what's so cool about off-leash training is mm -hmm. being able to do all those types of things, yep. right? I have a Malinois. I live in a suburb, but it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, like it's not like he's working all the time or anything. And mm. the fact that I have the ability to do that same deal, throw a ball where he could just full fucking sprint towards that ball yeah. and grab it and bring it back and stuff oh, like yeah. that, that satisfies his urge, yep. you know? Mm -hmm. Little waffles, right? Waffles, we, we joke, he's the fast boy, you know, yeah. he's a little fast boy. <laughs> Right, yeah. and, and same deal. Like we'll let him, and he just gets fucking, you know, <laughs> he just gets so pumped. Yeah, right. Yeah. They love it, you know. And it's like that. Like they never get to do that. We 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 keep our dogs in this like restrictive box, you know, mm -hmm. because we have to. Right again, yeah. like especially Cleveland. Right, we live in a city. Like you know, yeah. like there's people and dogs and shit that they can't go and engage with yeah. everywhere. It's not like we live in Montana on these fields where they could just be off all the time. <laughs> yeah. Right. So because we they, we keep them in these restrictive boxes and then we don't give them that outlet and then we wonder why they have these explosive outbursts towards things. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. reactive, like look at our most common behavioral issues we see, right? Reactivity, pulling on the leash, freaking out at the fence at the person walking by and stuff like that. Yep. And a lot of those things I think to me are, yes, impulse control issues, but impulse control issues that are amplified then because of how much we restrict them and don't give them the freedom to just just do it you know just yeah. fucking go 100 percent, right yeah <clears throat> and then we try to satisfy those urges with other things like these puzzles and mind games and this and that and it's like yes mental stimulation is extremely it is the most important thing for our dogs i don't want to discredit that at all these dogs are physical creatures too right they're yeah. fucking athletes yeah right? these dogs are so much stronger than we are they're so much they have so much more endurance than we do with this kind of stuff mm -hmm. so there, there comes a point where you have to be able to let them exert that as well exactly you know yeah yeah, I think. Do you do you find a correlation with um, I don't know people that have maybe bigger yards or people that live in an apartment? Um, if there's a correlation with maybe aggression at any point, mm. do you think, or, or is that just more of a mentality thing? I, I don't know. I mean, we we could nitpick this all day long, right? Oh, yeah, so like, for I think sure. the yard the yard helps, right? Yeah. But the yard doesn't solve the problem necessarily, for sure. Because I think most people don't have a big enough yard to like even us yeah. like again we have a big yard yeah but it's still they still can't like truly yeah. like ian like how he yeah. like they still can't do that yeah you know what i mean yeah, they, they still are aware of these restraints around them yeah. you know what i mean where i've got a client 
um, that lives on 120 acres, <laughs> right? Literally okay. 120 acres, yeah. right? That I went to their house, and that dog is never on a leash. Never, yeah. right? That dog lives probably the greatest life ever. Like, it's oh, like yeah. basically like hills and stuff that they live in. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> and and I, I remember going there, and just the dog's just off leash. And we went for this like crazy off leash hike with this dog, where this dog is just being a dog. Like, it was like the most beautiful thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the breed of the dog and everything. It's a mountain dog, you know? Like, yeah. so this dog is just designed to be like that, yeah. right? And she gets so much more satisfaction from that than most people are able to provide for their dogs. Yeah. I will tell you, I'm sure, please don't give me shit for this because I'm from <laughs> southern Indiana. But, um, you know, I lived on a farm. We we had a probably like 10 acres fenced in, like yep. around the house. The whole we, 10 acres was fenced? Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah, and... It's all outside, like because it, it's a big ass fence. Yeah, and our 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 dogs were outside dogs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they lived outside. And we had dog houses. Like I said, don't get offended, but <laughs> like that's just where they lived. But they, I will say, now that I've seen more of the, I don't know, I guess urban dog compared to what I grew up with, like those dogs were always just running up and down the fence, you know, cause it was right by the, the horse pasture. We had horses and they would chase the horses yeah. all day long, you know, and they were the happiest dogs ever. And people yeah. would always be like, you don't, your dogs live outside. I'm like, yeah, but they freaking love it, man. Yeah, people get real up in arms about that kind oh, of stuff. Yeah, I know. You know. Same with like outdoor cats. Some yeah. people freak out about that. It's like, are you kidding me? We got like four cats that live like in the field behind our house. Yeah. Right. And I see them every single day. Like just, like gallivanting, like yeah. just frolicking in the field, just having the best time ever. You yeah. know, like yeah, oh yeah, we had barn cats too. You know? so like, listen, they're domesticated creatures, yep. right? You know what I mean? Like dogs, yes, like they're designed to live in houses now and stuff like that, right? But like, everybody can live a different type of life with their dogs, and as long as the dog is still getting the biological needs met, then I don't have any issue with that kind of stuff. You know, exactly. I think the problem is there's there's something very very different about an outdoor dog in that type of setting mm-hmm. where it truly is like the animals just live outside. Like there's a barn that they can go hang out in and for get shelter and this and that. Yep. There's a there's a difference between an outdoor dog truly living like a dog mm-hmm. and an outdoor dog that lives in yeah. Cleveland yeah. in a backyard that's the size of this fucking room yeah. that's got a chain on it all the time. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, exactly. there's a very, very different thing. And you know that, obviously, yeah. right? Yep. But that's where people, when they think outdoor dog, their brain goes to that yeah. because we live in a city. Yep. You know, we don't have areas. Like, even here, like, my dogs couldn't be outdoor dogs here. Yeah. They're not going to get their fucking satisfaction. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Such a such a different thing. Past that, too, I think a lot of the times the reasons why it works in those more like um, rural environments and stuff like that is there's no triggers constantly around them to create all this frustration, right? So even in your case, right, let's say, you know, you said it's like 10 acres fenced in. Mm-hmm. Let's say beyond those 10 acres is like city and all this stuff going on and people constantly walking by, dogs constantly walking by. Those dogs, I still think, are going to get really frustrated and freak and, and get so oh, yeah. fixated on what's going on outside of those yep. fence, right? But in the in that case, exactly, I'm assuming there was nothing going on outside of those fences. <laughs> nothing. Everything that could possibly be of enjoyment yeah. is happening inside of those fences. So yeah. it's not creating that frustration drive as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The closest house to us was, is like a mile away. Yeah. So <laughs> I lived in the cornfield. Sorry. Yeah, the sticks. You were out there. <laughs> I was. <laughs> Wild times, yeah. man. But 
So listen, I mean, you know, we're 43 minutes in. We're going to fucking end it on that. Yeah. We'll have some more juicy stuff for you guys next time. Like I said, we're dealing with all sorts of shit right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and we'll continue to make podcasts about all this kind of stuff. You know, yeah. we try to keep, every, you know, and, and just to, because we did talk for five, ten minutes about, you know, things we're dealing with within the company and stuff like that. You know, nobody's hiding anything from anybody, obviously. You know, yeah. like I'm sure this issue we'll use as a story you know, whatever, months from now, you know, and and share it just like everything else, you know, like we really, I am striving to, especially through this podcast and everything, I'm striving to continue being as transparent as possible what this stuff looks like, you know, the day-to-day realities of owning a business, the day-to-day realities of owning a dog training business, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yep. Um, so we'll continue, I mean, we'll continue talking about all those types of things. I think transparency is everything in this industry. And it's cool because I've continued to get, I got even another email yesterday, right, from somebody that I think it was in regards to episode 70 or 71, where I was talking about how bad two of my dogs are slash were at the vet, right? Yeah. And this person reached out, again, somebody, I don't know who they are. Hey, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate that episode. I have a dog that's a psycho at the vet, and I feel so self-conscious about it all the time. And, you know, all these other trainers out there that have podcasts talk about how their dogs are just fucking perfect and never have any issues ever. And yeah. if you just pay them $100 for a consultation, all your problems will be solved and stuff like yeah. that. And it's just like, God, they're fucking dogs. Yeah. They're dogs, guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So I appreciated that. And, and we'll continue to share that. You know what I mean? Like, we... You know, and the more I share those things, you know, in my brain, I think a lot of the reason why dog trainers don't share this kind of stuff is in their brain, it, it feels like it discredits them. Like, oh, your dog yeah. bad at the vet, right? Like, yeah. you know, like how could how could we ever, you know, whatever, you know, like trust you to help us with our dogs. Yeah. Because I've experienced those things, I know how to work through them where they don't become problems. Yeah, like, exactly. I'm not a superhero. I'm a fucking human. And those things that drive you crazy to the point of thinking like, oh, I need to get rid of my dog. I've needed to come up with solutions for so I don't feel that way with them. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. So because I've experienced all this kind of stuff, I'm able to help you guys even better with those things. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I, I've said it multiple times, but I think the best thing for new trainers is to know exactly how it is. And I, I've said this as well many times that there's like nobody else really putting that part of the dog training world out there. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do love that you have made a point to throw it out there that, yeah, it doesn't always look great. Ain't you know, it's rainbows and butterflies. Exactly. And I think that's what makes this so beneficial for new uh, upcoming trainers. And even like you said, like just that email, you know, like owners just saying, Oh, I, I don't feel like a, a total fuck up because yeah. This guy has has been training dogs for eight years and still has problems with mm-hmm. his dog going to the vet or whatever, you know, because they are mm-hmm. animals at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and there's no perfect way. Mm-hmm. So. And to clarify, my dogs aren't psychos anymore. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, they're they're they're, they're fine, right? Like they yeah. still don't like it, right? Yeah. I still put a muzzle on Vinny every time I take him there and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, but like they're fine. You know what I mean? Like they go there and they get their examinations and stuff like that. And yep. It's cool, and you know. I have a great, and this is, you get into importance of having a good relationship with your vet and stuff. I have a good relationship with them where we know when we get it, it's like, all right, this is how we're going to do this right now, right? Yeah. This is how we're going to do this where my dog feels as safe and comfortable as possible and your job is 10 times easier, right? Yep. And we get it done and it's fine and there's no problems with it. Exactly. So. Cool. Cool. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up on that. Quick one today, 47 minutes. Hope you guys enjoy it. We'll catch you next time. See you.